what the hell's going on in Houston and what do we have to do to make this right? They're going to be rudderless. They're going to be shit. As we're talking to you this afternoon, there are four days until the National Football League's 100th season. Of course, unless you're in Green Bay, it's the 101st. I can't believe how bad their math people are, but I don't know. How can the... Never mind. Let's not go there. We've got four days until the Packers and Bears open at Soldier Field on Thursday Night Football, the start of the 100th NFL season. Really excited about that. Obviously, cut down day. Uh, happened on Saturday. Teams had to get down to 53-man rosters by 3 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday afternoon. We can certainly talk about that. Some notable trades that have happened as well in the National Football League. But we also have some baseball stuff to talk about. But I really want to start talking about college football, which opened as well. Pretty much opened on Thursday, but really got hot and heavy on Saturday as the 150th college football season opened up and we say hi and welcome you to this 386th episode of unscripted with mike and chris mike jansen chris fluke with you you'll also hear periodically during this episode you'll hear the voice of our very special in-studio guest mr ryan hall is here to give us his insights and uh hopefully he won't piss me off too bad i know he won't he's a nice guy he really is um but i do have to start with this Chris and I have been laughing, literally, at the University of Tennessee for pretty much the whole time we've been doing this. Um, They had a coach hired two years ago. Then the uh, rednecks of Tennessee didn't like the hiring of, remember that defensive coordinator that uh, Greg? I forget his name I can't remember his name. He was the coach at Rutgers. He was the defensive coordinator at Ohio State. Shiano, uh, Shiano, very good. Greg Shiano, go. he was given the job at at Tennessee, and then like two hours later, because the Rednecks figured out that they could use a phone line and call in with their with their comments and complaints, and the and the athletic director at the time at Tennessee was a limp dick, and so they said no to Shiano, and they bring in this guy by the name of Jeremy Pruitt. There, he was the former defensive coordinator at Alabama under Nick Saban. And things supposedly were on the upswing in Tennessee, in what they call Rocky Top. If you've ever been to Knoxville, Tennessee, folks, I don't mean to... Well, yeah, I guess I do kind of make fun. The general GPA around Knoxville, Tennessee is certainly less than 2.0. There are some real idiots around Knoxville, Tennessee. They used to be a, a, a dominant program under now athletic director Philip Fulmer. When he was the head coach back in the 90s, they won a national championship in 1998, but it wasn't under Peyton Manning's tutelage. It was under the tutelage of T. Martin, if you remember him. But since then, Tennessee's kind of been in a tailspin. And that, even for a math major like myself, is 21 years ago. And for the last 21 years, they've pretty much sucked. Well, Tennessee brought sucked to a new level yesterday. As they opened their season at Nayland Stadium instead of in front of 120,000 people, they went into the game as 25-point favorites, and they lost to Georgia State. I don't even know what Georgia State's nickname is. 
I do know where Georgia State plays. They play in the old Atlanta Braves baseball stadium in downtown Atlanta. I know that Georgia State is located in Atlanta, GA. But the Georgia State team went to Knoxville, Tennessee on Saturday and beat the Tennessee Volunteers from the from the beloved Southeastern Conference where they can't spell Tennessee. They just put TN. And Georgia State upsets Tennessee 38 to 31. Things are looking fine out there in uh, Tennessee. I, I no big real upsets, I guess. Um, a lot of games that you can we can certainly talk about. Alabama opened their season with a forty-two to three win over Duke. Clemson beats Georgia Tech, fifty-two to fourteen on Thursday. A very impressive performance by my Wisconsin Badgers on uh, Friday night in Tampa, Florida, just before the hurricane comes in. Uh, Wisconsin held the South Florida Bulls to a total of four first downs. Uh, they didn't get their first first down. Excuse me. They didn't get into Wisconsin territory, the Wisconsin half of the 50-yard line. They didn't get into the Wisconsin territory until there were four minutes and 49 seconds left in the game. Wisconsin totally dominated the Florida Bulls or the South Florida Bulls or whatever Charlie Strong wants to call them these days. 49 to nothing. No big surprises, but it is good to see college football is back. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about it. It gave me something to do when it was, I was supposed to be at a golf tournament yesterday, rained all day, was going to try to go to the golf tournament this morning, still raining today. So thank God for me that there was some college football on the television this week and, uh, some good games, the best game of all, in my opinion, um, it was the Saturday night game, which ended up being, I believe, what was it here? Uh, last second uh, touchdown, Auburn beats uh, Oregon in the Chick-fil-A Bowl, whatever the hell that is, uh, the season opener. That was a good football game. But uh, what else is going on in your mind over there, Mr. Fluke, as we welcome in the executive producer of Unscripted into the program. Uh, what are you looking at over there? So we're doing our... Fantasy draft. I've started a fantasy football league and we're going to do our draft today. I've never been a commissioner of a fantasy football league and I've never been a uh, I've never been in a keeper league either. So what we're doing is uh, we're going to do a draft. Some of the guys are going to be here. Our buddy Greg's back in Yorkton. Uh, some people will be other places, but we're going to do it on Yahoo and it's going to be uh, a lot of fun, I hope, here. And so um, so how about half the league doesn't know anything about fantasy football. So what I've just been working on here is just kind of helping some people like our buddy Ryan here, who don't really know a lot about fantasy football. And, uh, just, uh, I was just getting a question here from the guy who's drafting number four and number four is the toughest position this year because of the Ezekiel Elliott story. Now it sounds like talks are heating up, uh, even this afternoon. And it sounds like he could sign as early as today. Yeah, it's, we were going to talk about that in this episode. Yeah. Is the Cowboys can't believe that a deal with Ezekiel Elliott will get done by the end of this long Labor Day weekend. So, so yeah. So, but of course, in in fan, just real quick here in fantasy this year, there's a clear top four players who are all running backs. It's Saquon Barkley, Elvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, and Ezekiel Elliott. And you could put those four in any order you want, except because of this Ezekiel Elliott thing. If everyone knows that he's playing Week One. Uh, he's definitely in the top four. It's a clear top four. It's definitely separate, uh, separate from everyone else. And a lot of people would take Zeke at first overall in their fantasy draft if they know he's playing right from the beginning of the season. And now it's sounding like there's still time for him to sign and be signed and sealed and delivered for 
week one in uh, a week from today. My question would be, how much hit or how much uh, hitting has he been exposed to with all his buddies down in Cabo San Lucas? I don't think he can be ready for week one. I mean, I don't know fantasy football, but I do know football. And I think it'd be very difficult for anybody, anybody, not mm-hmm. just Ezekiel Elliott. You miss six weeks of training camp. You can sit there and train on the beaches with all your trainers down on Cabo San Lucas, but you still can't initiate contact. Sure. And I think getting your body physically ready to get wrecked in an NFL game week one after not having six weeks of, of uh, and he probably, I don't even, I don't know this to be true, but if he missing, if he's missing, uh, Six weeks of 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 uh, training camp. He probably wasn't there for mini camps. He probably wasn't there for anything in the off season program. So, and let's be honest, regardless of his physical abilities on a football field, um, we know that he wasn't at Ohio State as an academic. So, um, I just think it'd be very difficult to commit a high draft pick at this point in a fantasy league. To Ezekiel Elliott, I think it'd be very difficult. If I was playing in your league, and I appreciate you invited me, it's just not my thing. I'm very appreciative that you thought of me. But I don't think I would take a, a chance on an Ezekiel Elliott at least playing week one. I think it's going to be too tough. Well, I think the correct thing to simply do is, if you're going to take Ezekiel Elliott, who's still going in the first round of drafts and is going as, you know, couldn't go for fourth overall, and some people, I think, in some leagues, he's even going earlier than that. And a lot of in most leagues, he'd be first or second if uh, he was playing. But the key is just you get what's called the handcuff, which is a backup running back for a key running back on your fantasy team. So the thing is, if you are going to take Ezekiel Elliott at any spot, whether it's four or otherwise, uh, just make sure you pick up Tony Pollard as well. Uh, you may have to only overdraft Tony Pollard, but he's looked excellent in the preseason and he should be fine. And then all you do is you just... If Zeke misses any amount of games, even one game, you just start Tony Pollard. Uh, he should be totally fine, especially for a game or two. And then as soon as Zeke starts playing, you just drop Tony Pollard and you have another spot on your bench to pick up someone off the waiver wire. Well, I want to give anybody out there in unscripted land, I want to give you my two cents worth of a guy that you both should be looking at, not in the first four, but as I'm learning a little bit more about fantasy football, I've got a name for both of you that I think you need to look out for. If this guy stays healthy, and that's always a big if. But Aaron Jones of the Green Bay Packers. And now I'm biased. We all know that. But this guy runs the ball very well. Mm -hmm. Uh, If he can ever stay healthy, he's had knee bruise the last couple of years. That's cost him some games. But last year he was at almost 900 yards and only played like 12 games. So under this system with Matt LaFleur, they are really emphasizing the running back. And the ability to not only run the football, but catch the football out of the backfield. I think that Aaron Jones could be a sleeper for a lot of fantasy football players out there because he hasn't, a lot of people don't know about him simply because A, the Packers have not been good the last couple of years, and B, Jones has spent a lot of time injured. But if he can stay healthy, there's a guy that could be a sleeper pick for somebody in later rounds. Yeah, he's going, I believe, his average draft position off the top of my head, and it varies if you're in Yahoo or ESPN or whatever, but I think Aaron Jones is going about the fourth round, about 35th overall, I think is about where he's going. My concern personally is in a lot of my drafts, I'm drafting anywhere from 
number four to number eight, kind of around there. And so I've been targeting Devontae Adams in my, as my first round pick. So the issue for me is that you don't want to be with in fantasy. You don't want to have too many guys from one team. They all go and buy at the same time. And usually if one is doing well, then the other's not. So for example, in, in this league where I'm uh, sort of running the team for another guy, in the first, in week one, we're playing this guy and I think his team is terrible. The one great player he has is Travis Kelsey, the best tight end in the league for fantasy. Yeah. But the nice thing is that's offset by, like in every other thing, I've, I'm superior to him. Like position for position, I'm projected to beat him. The only place he's projected to beat me is at tight end. I've got Austin Hooper of the Atlanta Falcons, who's very solid, uh, but he's got Travis Kelsey. But he's also... And out of his eight human players that are starting, three of them are from the Kansas City offense. He's starting Travis Kelsey and Sammy Watkins and Damian Williams. It's like even if Travis Kelsey or any one of them has a big game, that that's that many less points for the others, especially if you're factoring in the game is on the road and it's at Jacksonville, who's a very good defense. Mm-hmm. So the odds of all three of those guys having monster days is almost zero. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, so that's that's something to watch out for. But um, yeah, Aaron Jones, in any league where I don't have Devontae Adams, I absolutely am targeting Aaron Jones because I'm generally going wide receiver early. And then in rounds kind of three through seven or eight, there's a lot of great running backs that I like this year. And in the, around that fourth frame, I'm really looking at Aaron Jones. I'm really looking at Marlon Mack, even after the uh, this other news. And in PPR, I'm looking at James White as well. But uh, yeah, Aaron Jones, he showed up for camp, 5.3% body fat. He's looked excellent. Some of his numbers have been among the best of running backs the la- in the, the last year or so. And uh, yeah, he's a he's a great pick. Uh, cut down day, as I mentioned, uh, happened on Saturday in the National Football League as all 32 teams needed to get down to 53 men by Saturday afternoon. Um, I want to talk, uh, if you have a big surprise cut somewhere, some guys that maybe were surprising that they got released. Also some trades. And, you know, we have talked a lot about butt chin down in uh, Houston and Butchin has kind of taken on the role as general manager because, well, the guy he brought in, he fired. And uh, I don't know who's running things down in Houston. I really don't. Um, but they do get rid of Jadavian Clowney. He goes to Seattle. Um, I don't know what they traded that for. And then they also made a trade, meaning the Texans with the Miami Dolphins. They got left tackle Laramie Tunzel, wide receiver Kenny Stills. And uh, Houston sends two first, a second, and two players. But... I know this will get you riled up, and I love it when you get riled up. Um, what the hell is going on? I mean, Houston can't even trade right. I mean, I was looking this morning briefly before I came over to tape these episodes today, and people universally were ripping the Houston Texans for what they got with these trades and what they sent back, and and it just... You know, I know that the Houston franchise has not been the same since the... Uh, owner died, and I don't know who's taken them over. They've gone through two general managers, but Chin still seems to survive. They have enough talent, you think, that they can should be competitive in the AFC. They win nine games last year in a row. They ended up winning the division, but yet they were nothing in the playoffs. They laid over and died. They laid down and died for somebody. What the hell's going on in Houston, and what do we have to do to make this right? There's talent on that Houston team, but until they get the right leadership, they're going to be rudderless. They're going to be shit. 
Yeah, and the previous owner of the Houston Texans before he died really should have gotten rid of Bill O'Brien a long time ago. I mean, he's just been lucking his way to 8-8 eight and eight and 9-7 and seven records and winning the shittiest division in football constantly, and it's totally ridiculous. A team with J.J. Watt should have done better than this by now. Deshaun Watson is the real deal. They just they haven't been serious about their O-line, and the, the coach is a moron. He surrounded himself. He fired the whole scouting department, surrounded himself with yes-men, including the GM, who he then fired less than a year later. It's just a complete disaster. With these trades, first of all, they never should have pissed off Clowney. Correct. He, he was only pissed off because they classified him as an outside linebacker instead of a defensive end, so right. they could get away with paying him $1.5 million less. He spoke out against that, so they decided to trade him. He didn't want to go to many places, but he did want to go to Seattle as one of his two preferred destinations. I'm not sure why Seattle. I have no idea why. He's like He himself is from South Carolina on right. the other side of the country, so who knows. But Clowney is a premier pass rusher. He's, I think, 26 years old. First overall pick in 2014. He's the real deal. And for a team that's seen the Legion of Boom get dismantled piece by piece and has nothing left except for Bobby Wagner on defense, they even got rid of Frank Clark now. Uh, Tav Clowney is just just such a wonderful revelation for them. He's going to be in that home field advantage, and Seattle just has needs that good defense, and this is going to be huge for them. We're going to have an NFL episode, and we're going to talk about, and and we'll get deep into the National Football League. All I'm going to say though, because I want to get uh, Ryan involved as well, because I want to hear some of his insights. But I can just say this: Seattle may have acquired Jadavian Clowney, but all that does is solidify third place for them in the NFC West. Even with Jadavian Clowney and Russell Wilson and Sierra and Pete Carroll and John <laughs> Schneider, they're still going to end up third behind the LA Rams and the San Francisco 49ers. I don't care what anybody says. I Well, Arizona Arizona will be the... Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm giving them third because Arizona is going to be lucky well, to win three games. they're easily going to beat Arizona. Russell Wilson by himself the with us. The three of us could get eight other guys and beat the Arizona Cardinals, yeah. coached by Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah, yeah. Especially if we had, uh, especially if we had Russell Wilson on our team for sure. Then, but uh, I don't know. I am wondering about this Niners team. If, if the Niners are as advertised, yeah, for sure. But I actually am starting to see. I have not been impressed with much of anything by the San Francisco 49ers, and this will be a chance to bring in Ryan here because. You may not know this, but Ryan is a San Francisco 49ers fan, right? Well, he must like me then. I said something nice about the 49ers. They're not going to end up third or fourth. There you go. So I'll ask Ryan about that, but I'll just quickly say Jimmy Garoppolo has not looked great. He threw five interceptions in five passes in a row uh, in practice. Dante Pettis' hands have not looked good. He's dropped too many passes. Uh, The team just hasn't felt right. I don't know why they still have C.J. Beathard there. It was nice to see Nick Mullins again. He was such a nice story from last year. But they're... And I love Kyle Shanahan. Don't get me wrong. Garoppolo should be fine. But it just... You know, Jarek McKinnon hurt again. They never should have signed him to a four-year, $30 million deal as a third-string running back from the Vikings. That didn't make any sense. Just some little guy who was injury-prone. And uh, they're shaky. And now you have Clowney and Wagner on the defense with a great home field advantage. And Russell Wilson doesn't need anybody. But he's got Chris Carson and Tyler Lockett, who I think are going to be amazing weapons this year, even though Rashad Penny still sucks. But I think, I'm looking at, I actually think the Seattle Seahawks will finish higher than the San Francisco 49ers this year. They'll both easily outclass the Arizona Cardinals, who, I mean, you'd have to think are going to be the worst team in the NFC this year. Um, 
maybe in the league this year, but they should beat the Dolphins. But Ryan, uh, have you followed the Niners much the last few years? Are you going to follow them more this year, especially as you get into fantasy football? What are your thoughts on them this year? I haven't followed them a whole lot uh, in the past while. I, I don't pay attention to the NFL as much as a lot of other people do, I guess. But I will be following them for sure more this year. Uh, yeah, you got money on it now. Fantasy league. Yeah, absolutely. Even even though it's a pretty cheap uh, buy into the league, uh, it's it'll make things fun to, to follow everything a little more. Um, they have made a few decent moves over the past few years, and, and I guess I'm cautiously optimistic that things will pay off. Far cry from what they used to be. I like when I was a kid. I'm pretty sure they're my favorite team just because they were they were awesome when I was a kid watching Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, all, <laughs> well, yeah, you know, all the <laughs> legends. Um, far cry from there, but I guess here's to hoping that they get those five interceptions on five pass attempts and all the shit out in their preseason and practices, so that hopefully during the regular season everything kind of irons itself out. That is the voice of our special in-studio guest, Ryan Hall, as we re-welcome you here to episode number 386 of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Again, we'll talk exclusively the National Football League in episode 387, so let's get caught up on a couple other topics. I want to talk about the National Hockey League. I think, obviously, and you guys would know this better than I, but these guys have got to be going to training camp within the next two weeks. They've got to be. I mean, if they if they if their season opens in early October, they've got to be start getting into training camp. We still haven't heard about what's happening with Mitch Marner and all the rest of the restricted free agents out there. Some of these guys have got to the 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 places where these guys are going to end up. They've got to get solidified here pretty soon. I I keep hearing that there's a lot of obviously restricted free agents out there, but they're waiting for Marner to see what he he's going to be the he's going to be the standard bearer. He's going to be the guy that agents and players are going to see once Marner signs on the dotted line, that will supposedly, that is going to just take the restricted free agent market and and get it going because there's a lot of good hockey players still looking to see where they're going to play next year. Pretty obvious you think that Marner's going to end up in Toronto. Pretty obvious that Chris's favorite player, that psycho Kachuk, is going to end up back in Calgary. They they, they can't. Chris, they have to. They they can't afford to let Kachuk go. I mean, he's they're offensively challenged enough as it is, and this guy was one of their <laughs> offensive leaders last year, and they won 51 games. They have to re-sign, I think. I mean, not for me, but for the eight remaining Flames fans, they've got to sign Kachuk again. But one thing I wanted to talk to you guys about, and this is kind of funny to me, and, and maybe it's I'm a little naive, I'm not naive on a bunch of things, but a couple things. I am a little bit quizzical about this. The NHL this last week declined. Gary Bettman made a statement saying that the NHL declines to reopen the collective bargaining agreement talks. That leads me to have a question for the two of you. The NHL Players Association uh, has until September 15th, and of course the NHL Players Association is now headed by one Mr. Donald Fair. The NHLPA has until September 15th to reopen the talks. But my question to the two of you is, don't you need both sides willing to sit down to discuss to make a new deal happen? Or if if one team says, or one side says, no, we're not going to reopen. If the other side reopens, what do they do? I mean, do they get together? Do they talk about it? I mean, to really make something happen, to get these two sides together, you would think, 
they'd have to be together to make something happen. I don't know. Enlighten me, boys. Yeah, I don't understand why they would opt not to reopen it. Yeah. What harm is there in sitting down and at yeah. least trying to hash something out? Right. Um, a, a recent news article that I that I saw stated that the the players are planning for a lockout. They're expecting that. So yeah. hopefully that's not true and it doesn't happen, or or at the very least they they are able to come to terms and avoid that. But uh, it looks like they're at least planning for that anyway. Yeah. Well, I have you two guys here, and it's an honor to have both of you sitting here, and I can hit you with a couple of hockey questions. And this one, Chris and I have talked about this. This revolves around a guy that that, uh, last year played for the Edmonton Oilers. I'm talking about Jesse Pujarvi. Close enough? I say Pujarvi. It's Pujarvi, I think, if you go. Yeah, whatever. I say Pujarvi. Whatever. His rights are owned by the Edmonton Oilers. But yet, this last week... I read where he has signed a contract, a one-year deal with a team in Finland. And my question to the two of you, is he then still property of the Edmonton Oilers if he has signed a one-year contract with his team in Finland? Well, he definitely is property of the Oilers in North America. Okay. Yes, 100%. Yeah, he definitely can't go and do anything else in the NHL, whatever. I mean, really, with with, uh, players in the NHL, you're uh, the best you can hope for in terms of controlling your own destiny as being a restricted free agent until you're 25. Oh, okay. And Jesse Pilyarvi is, uh, well, he can't be only older than 21 at this point. He was, right. cause he's drafted as an 18 year old in, uh, 2016, I believe. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, uh, he's got a, he's got a long ways to go before he can just be an unrestricted free agent, just doing whatever he wants. That's, that's many years away. So he's just, the unfortunate thing is here, he's mad at the franchise, but he's really mad at, you know, Peter Chiarelli and Todd McClellan and all these guys that aren't there anymore. I mean, this is a totally different thing with Ken Holland and Dave Tippett, and it's just a com- it's going to be a completely new system, a new team, and there's no reason for him to really act like this, I don't think. He's going to get great opportunities if if he would play. I mean, if there's one thing the Oilers need right now, it's a big six foot four guy who can skate and is a, and is willing to go to the paint and can put the puck in the net. I mean, and he's got the pedigree and everything else. Like, he is the exact prototype of what the Oilers need right now. Exactly. Right. right. Even, even right-handed. Like, every little thing they need, he's that. And I really think... I don't know where he expects he's going to go and play on potentially... Certainly the top three lines, maybe even the top two as a right-winger. And he's going to get opportunities with guys like Leon Dreisettle and Connor McDavid and Ryan Nugent Hopkins and and guys of this caliber that high up in the lineup and he needs to play up there because I don't think he's going to do well he's 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 really young and kind of youthful even though he's bigger I think he's not a good fit on a in a bottom six role so really the Oilers are about the best spot for him it for both sides it's in their best interest for him to play there mm-hmm. and the fact that he's doing this he's he's just being really young and immature and impulsive and he should see that hey yeah the jerseys are the same but the the people that uh, are in charge are totally different and and he just made a mass he thought he was just i know what happened he and his agent thought they were just gonna do make some noise and they were just gonna get traded no problem for a, a low draft pick and that was gonna be the end of it and they didn't know who they're dealing with in ken holland and they made the wrong choice um one question that i have to ask ryan um 19 or 2018 when the Vegas Golden Knights still should be the Las Vegas Knights. I don't give a damn what anybody says. 
But the Vegas Golden Knights made the improbable run all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. Won 51 games, yada, yada, yada. First expansion team, yada, yada, yada. But (laughs) Ryan called me out one time, and I'll never forget this. (laughs) Ryan is a big Los Angeles Kings fan, and I appreciate that because for years and years, I was a lot, and still am. I I still am. I still like when the Los Angeles Kings do well. I don't want the Los Angeles Kings in last place like they were last year. They're a better franchise than that. I think they made a huge mistake. Truly huge mistake when they let Daryl Sutter go. I think they made another huge mistake when they let Dean Lombardi go and replace him with two ex-jocks that so far to me have proven to be what most ex-jocks are in front office roles, which is inadequate. I, I am not sold on Rob Blake as a general manager. I am not sold on Luke Robitaille as the president of hockey operations, but that's for another day. I still have passion, obviously, for the Los Angeles Kings. I won a lot of money in 2012 and 2014 because I bet at the right time on the Los Angeles Kings. And they were fun to watch, and they beat the shit out of people, and they had a great goaltender. And I think a lot of that has to do with Jonathan Quick is not the goaltender as he was a couple years ago. And let me be honest with you folks, none of us are as good as we were a couple years ago. It's called age. But while we've got a registered L.A. Kings fanatic here, Got to ask them, what do we need to do? I don't think, and I don't mean this as disrespectful, I think this is part of the process of getting back to where they were. I don't think the Kings are a playoff team in 2019-2020. But are we getting closer? As I sit here and talk right here to an L.A. Kings fan, Mr. Ryan Hall. I don't know if they're going to be a playoff team. I, I mean, I'm hoping that they are. They cool. still have a good core. They've got Dowdy, Kopitar. Right. Um, Quick is probably still an all right goalie. He's just... He lost his confidence last year. Definitely lost confidence. He's a little more injury prone than he used to be. And they do have a couple other younger goalies that could probably fill in and take a spot and be at least as good and probably less injury prone, more, a little more reliable. Uh, they do have some good young players that are supposed to be up and coming. Um, I know Gabe Villardi, Villardi, I'm not sure how they pronounce that. He is supposed to be good. Uh, they're looking at potential trades, apparently, for Tyler Toffoli. And mm-hmm. even if he regains his touch, he he can be an amazing player as well. He can score 30 goals. So they've got a core and they've got, they've got some decent players. Um, it'll be interesting to see if it clicks. I mean, part of it, when they won in 2012, when they won the Cup, I think they said their their six D-men played the same D-pairings together with no injuries, no missed time or anything for like the last 40-some or 50 games of the season. Oh, my. So, I mean, it's not even necessarily about getting different players. Sometimes it's just about chemistry and... And, and health. Health, yeah, and, and just being together e- enough to, to make everything work and know what the other guy's going to do. So, we'll see how the season goes, I guess. I'm not overly optimistic, but... Hopefully, it uh, they can they can put some wins together. Well, I you know again I I'm a big Daryl Sutter fan. I I don't know why. Um, I met Daryl Sutter years ago here in Calgary when he was the coach of the Flames, and he was genuinely very nice. And I know his bosses were there, the owners of the Flames were there at the time. The general manager Brian Burke, you know, Greasy Boy was there, so I guess he was maybe on his best behavior. But I really found. Uh, him to be enlightening. I really liked Daryl Sutter. I went up to him and said, hey, Mr. Sutter, how are you? And he goes, my name's Daryl. Mr. Sutter's up in Viking. 
you know, so uh, I don't do a very good Daryl Sutter anymore. <laughs> but, you know, I, I again, I just think the NHL is better when their big market teams are playing good hockey. And I think the NHL is a better product when the when the Los Angeles Kings are playing, just like if the New York Rangers are playing or an original six team like this last season, only two original six teams make the postseason. That's got to improve this upcoming season. You got to have, because again, you're trying to sell your product. You're always trying to sell your product. And it's a lot easier when you've got recognizable names in the postseason. A lot of people don't associate, especially south of the 49th parallel, couldn't name you five players on the Dallas Stars. As good as the Tampa Bay Lightning were last year, 130 some points and 62 regular season wins. And except for the goaltender and maybe maybe a couple players, but you give them and you tell them the Chicago Blackhawks or you tell them the Detroit Red Wings, the Detroit Red Wings in the postseason for 25 years in a row. I think they're going to get that kind of run in Edmonton because the architect of 25 years in a row, at least the last half of those 25 years, was Ken Holland, who's now the general manager in Edmonton. That's a very positive thing for the Edmonton Oilers. But it's always helpful when you're trying to sell your brand to have things that people are recogni- are, can recognize. And even the small-mindedness United States hockey fan, they know at least what an original six team is, and I hope that we get back to that. Now, I would sacrifice the Flames' uh, playoff spot in a minute. They can have it. I don't give a crap. But uh, wouldn't go over well in my house, but wouldn't bother me one bit. But as you say that, I think it's... I know it's really important that the original six are in, but I think it's also really important to try to have as many Canadian teams in, too. It's It's got to be good for the NHL. I mean, it's it's a way bigger market here for it, so it would... Would be nice to have more Canadian it, teams. It, I know the, you're not the a only problem fan. with that, Ryan, unfortunately, is the television markets, and that's a big part of any negotiation in regard to the upcoming CBA talks. And re- I would yeah. love to have all seven Canadian teams in. I really would, because you'd have full barns every night. You'd have full participation. It would be great to see. The problem is, a couple of years ago, if you remember, Gary Bettman was shitting in his pants. If that would have been nashville ottawa in the stanley cup final a couple years ago that oh my god you would have seen him jumping from the highest building in new york city without a parachute if that had happened and that is what scares me potentially because obviously for the bigger tv markets and if you want uh nbc and abc and cbs or whatever down in the states to still play along with a national hockey league television contract you need some states teams to play better than they did in 1819 and hopefully that will happen. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned the collective bargaining again and and double renewing that and with TV deals and all that stuff. So I I did a quick little search when you and Chris were talking and it looks as though the the collective agreement is set to expire in 2022. Yep. And so I think the NHL not wanting to reopen it, whoever reopens it if you if you request to reopen it now, that makes it expire in 2020. Oh. So if they just if neither side does anything now, it they just keep going until 2022 as status quo. So, right. Okay. And so I think that's probably I think more than anything I think someone brought up that the NHL is not looking to reopen it just to try to grab a headline or get a story out of it. I don't mm-hmm. think there's really anything there with that. Okay, well that's good to know and I appreciate that for letting me uh letting me know about that. I didn't know that uh that would uh, terminate the current CBA if somebody was to open up the current 
CBA and start some talks. Uh, before we get out of here on this uh, 200, 300, I always do that, 386th episode of Unscripted, I do want to, and I know, baseball's not a big thing. But a couple of weeks ago, Justin Verlander, all-star pitcher from the Houston Astros, probably a first ballot Hall of Famer when he's all said and done, and he's married to uh, the swimsuit model from Sports Illustrated. Kate Upton. Thank you. So um, guys get Hall of Fame votes right there for me. Um, but he had said and brought up some controversy that he believes that Major League Baseballs, the baseballs that they're using are juiced. Um, you've got guys that you've got a number of guys that when the season's over are going to be over 50 bombs this year. There's no question about it. Trout will be over 50 bombs. Um, Yelich in Milwaukee will be over 50 bombs. Bellinger in Los Angeles with the Dodgers will be over 50 bombs. Um, uh, oh, probably big, judge Aaron judge will be over 50 bombs and he missed a bunch of games this year. He, he missed a bunch of games. I don't know if he, he's only at about 20, so I don't know if he's going to have time, but uh, if Giancarlo Stanton would have been healthy this year for the New York Yankees, he certainly would have gone over 50 bombs. But this just, I wanted to bring this up because I believe that Justin Verlander ruffled a few feathers, but he knew what he was talking about when he ruffled a few feathers because here's a guy that's been throwing major league, uh, has been throwing off a major league mounds now for almost 20 years. Must be the players are juicing again. When you hear that the Minnesota Twins hit their hit a new Major League Baseball record, 268th home run. That's the most home runs in a season ever in Major League Baseball history. And Major League Baseball history goes back to 1886 with the old Cincinnati Redlegs. And the Minnesota Twins have already hit 268 homers as of Saturday. And we still got a month to go in the season. I don't think there's anything that would preclude a person that can put a full sentence together and is one of the eight remaining baseball fans that wouldn't believe that the baseball is juiced if you've got this many home runs being hit over a period going back since 1886. I'm not a math major. I don't I can't do the math. That's a long freaking time ago. And you have the Minnesota Twins beat the record or set the record and there's still 30 days or more left in this season. One interesting thing about this for me is I, I know baseball is somewhat concerned with continuity of their records, but we also have to try to counteract the steroid era. I'd love to beat that. So maybe we're going to get to the point where baseball just says, fuck it. Yeah, we're juicing the baseballs. And by the way, we're going to let everyone use aluminum bats. Why not? Right? And let's yeah. just go all the way. And, and the thing I like, I, well, well, I would feel sad that, you know, there's not as much continuity. Uh, really, I mean, in fairness, everything advances. You, you think that golf players or uh, golfers are going to use wooden clubs or something? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, sorry, it, it, things advance. And I know baseball is held back and whatever. But I like the idea of continuity of records and of history. However, I think that... When it comes to the technology side, I would say, yeah, you know what? Juice the baseballs, let them use aluminum bats, and let's try to do whatever we can to push out the guy, the guys in the steroid era and then make it so that they don't... I think that's the only way you can kind of counteract that counteract that black mark on history is, to, uh, is to do it like that. Isn't it kind of funny, though, when you had the year, I think it was 1999 or 2000, somewhere in there, when McGuire had 70... And Sammy Sosa had 66, and there were a bunch of guys in the 50s, and they didn't even get past this 268. And here we are, 
at that number already, and we've still got 30 games or more to go in the regular season. I think yeah. this number is going to be astronomical, and uh, I'm just surprised that when we had all the guys doping and juicing and everything else, we couldn't surpass this number. So what's the excuse now? And I think Justin Verlander is on to something with a juiced baseball because, I mean, you look at these kids, and the, the, and I like these young kids that are coming up for the Toronto Blue Jays, the Biggios, the, uh, the Bichettes and his mother, and um, Guerrero. And Guerrero. And these young guys are just knocking it out of the park. And I know that uh, whatever they call the downtown, it used to be the Sky Dome, whatever the fuck they call it in Toronto now, Rogers, or the Center. Rogers Center, thank you. Whatever they call it, well, Rogers Center, we just, we just figured that out. But regardless, I know it's a band box. Yankee Stadium for a left-handed hitter is a band box. There's a lot of band boxes. But again, What's the excuse? What's baseball going to say now? Before, they always blamed it on steroids. But now, supposedly, everybody's clean and nobody's juicing and we're already past the all-time home run record. I wonder what old Rob Manfred's going to say about this. We've got a run on this uh, 386th episode of Unscripted. We again thank Ryan Hall for participating and being a very great friend of the show. And thank you for your insight and correcting me. And and uh, really appreciate that when you make me look dumber than I already am. <laughs> uh, but I'm only kidding. Um, we are going to, on our episode 387, Ron Barr used to love when I do this. And I used to just not do it because it make Ron crazy. Um but in our 380, that seventh episode, we are going to do a bit of an NFL preview. We'll have some picks for you. We'll have our week one picks. They won't be up online yet, uh, but they will be, I would assume, before Thursday. Mm-hmm. But we'll do it today just so there's l- some legitimacy. Anybody, anybody can look great if they pick the Bears-Packers game on Friday, right? Um, we won't do that. But we'll do that and looking forward to that. We also have our division winners, our playoff teams, I even have gone far enough to award the NFC and AFC defensive and offensive players of the year. So um, I've already made a change, though. So I'm entitled to do that. We thank you for participating in this 386th episode of Unscripted. Hope that you continue to do so. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Flute, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.